Hello and welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch, review, and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. I am Chris, back again with Patrick. Hello. And Steven. Hey guys. And today we are assembled to discuss the 2002 horror film, The Ring. Sort of a big deal uh, when that came out and since, but uh, The Wheel of Death picked that one for us. Uh, But before we get into our discussion of The Ring, as usual, we are going to catch up on what else we've been watching or reading or consuming uh, in the horror realm. So Patrick, what have you been up to since we last spoke? Not a whole lot, and actually the one thing that I have done uh, is something I don't want to talk about right now because I actually did watch Ringu, the Japanese oh. uh, film that The Ring is based on, uh, so I'm sure I'll be referring to that and making a, a comparison or two through the discussion today, so I'm not even going to get into it right You now. can be the hipster who's like, uh, actually, this was done better <laughs> in Ringu. Um, actually, that's clear if you watch Ringu. <laughs> I mean, actually, I guess the the quick take is I actually preferred the ring. Wow! Um, yeah, I've actually heard that. I've heard I've heard that. This seems to be the more popular opinion. I mean, you know, it the ring's budget is thirty times more, and Gore Verbinski mostly knows what to do with it. So, you know, the ring looks better than Ringu. Some interesting differences in the story, and some interesting, very close similarities between the two. But I'll. You know, probably bring those up as we discuss the ring today. Hmm. What about you, Steven? Uh, do I have anything? Yeah, I finally caught up with Evil Dead Rise. Uh, uh, I loved the Evil Dead original trilogy when I was in high school. I still have a fondness for those movies, but I don't like revere them or anything like that. I don't, you know, they're they're important to me, but like I'm only gonna watch them like once every ten years. So my expectations for this film, which has very little to do with the originals, no returning characters or anything like that, uh, were pretty uh, through the floor. I went in, you know, just looking for a, a good ninety minute gore fest. Uh, watched it with a good crew of people, and I actually had a really good time with it. It's not a great movie, but I think it didn't. It it interestingly captured the Gonzo spirit of the original Evil Dead movies, which got crazier as they went along, while also adding in some, you know, some decent character stuff. Nothing too profound, but enough to keep me invested in the bodies that are being, you know, ripped asunder throughout. Uh, And yeah, I had a great time. I'll probably never watch it again, but it was a hell of a lot better than it had any right to be. What have you been up to, Chris? Well, you know, we just had uh, 4th of July, my favorite holiday. (laughs) Uh, No, it's not. But uh, I watched (laughs) Uncle Sam, the Bill Lustig, Larry Cohen uh, film from 1996 about a uh, patriotic veteran who comes back to life after being killed in action on the 4th of July and goes on a killing spree, uh, much to the chagrin of his like 10 year old nephew who adores him and thinks he's a war hero and wants to be a war hero himself. Wasn't a very good movie, um, but it was a pretty good satire for the first like 45 minutes or so, because Mm. the way this kid idolizes his uncle Sam who we know is a sicko on his best day and a monster once he's dead. It's 
it's played so straight and it's so familiar. The way he talks about the military is the way we talk about the military in America and the way that we're all expected to care, feel, feel about the military. So it's just kind of dryly funny that he's putting all this praise upon this guy who we know is just like a, a monstrous sicko. Uh, once uncle Sam comes back from the dead, there's a couple inspired slasher-esque scenes, but I thought it went off the rails completely. It was very boring. The satire uh, kind of lost its relevancy. And it was kind of hard to get through. Isaac Hayes has a supporting role and steals every scene he's in. He's a very good actor that I wish uh, got more acclaim as an actor. Uh, but, uh, it was fun. It was fun enough to watch on the 4th of July. And even though it wasn't a great movie, uh, I can see myself putting it on in 4th of July's to come or Memorial days to come, uh, just to have something on that's a little bit, uh, weird. So, uh, that's, I guess it may be a cue it, a low cue it for, for uncle Sam. You know, I was trying to think, uh, I'm, I've talked about Larry Cohen like the last three episodes, totally forgot he wrote that, so I need to see it on that basis. I was struggling to think of a 4th of July horror movie, so I didn't end up watching one. Hmm. Yeah, there uh, aren't I, that many. Uh-huh, so I'll have to, Jaws. have to throw that on next year. Jaws is the yeah, one I, watch. Yeah, I've been wanting to rewatch Jaws for so long, and I frankly forgot that it was 4th of July adjacent until one of our Amon faithful pointed out on the Discord, um, but... Didn't get to that this Fourth of July, so we'll see if we'll see if I finally rewatch Jaws before next Fourth of July. Well, we do we do Christmas in July, so can't we do like Fourth of July in December? Mix it up a little bit. Yeah, why not? Why not? Um, One more note on Uncle Sam. It was very similar to Maniac Cop and Maniac Cop Two, which is Larry Cohen movie. Same personnel, but um, not nearly as good, in my opinion. So, if you're looking for something that's a little bit subversive. You might want to check out Maniac Cop, which, in my opinion, they, yeah, you do. They, they could just—it's a little redundant. They could just call it Cop. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Not the first time you've made that joke in my presence, but I still love it. <laughs> anyway, um, this for this week's uh, business at hand, we watched, like I said, The Ring by Gore Verbinski. Starring Naomi Watts and a little Moppet who went on to become an attorney and may someday mm-hmm. be on the Supreme Court of the United States. <laughs> What's his name? David Dorfman? Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see the confirmation hearings for David Dorfman where they're, they're isn't it, isn't it true that you, when you were a child, you were plagued by visions of things that didn't exist? Isn't it true you had violent fantasies? <laughs> Isn't it true you passed on a cursed tape to someone else to avoid your own death? (laughs) Yeah. What does the name Samara mean to you? (laughs) Anyway. Um, now I see. I assume we've all seen the. Actually, the the ring is in our our fucking logo. So I, right. I, I assume we've all <laughs> yeah. seen it. <laughs> the wheel was like, "Come on, guys, let's get to it." I have seen it, but it took me a long time. I mean, that came out when I was still in Bubble Childville, so I certainly didn't see it when everyone else did. I I would estimate I saw it within like the last five to seven years or something. Hmm. How did you feel about it then? Oh, I enjoyed it very much okay. and enjoyed it similarly this time. I was kind of surprised by it, actually, because, like, I think 
based on sort of the reputation it had at the time, it struck me as one of those, like, I know, almost like in the, I know what you did last summer, like, I mean, and certainly the grudge kind of camp, which I mean, the grudge kind of happened because of the ring's success, Mm -hmm. but it kind of struck me as something that would, was likely to be pretty lame when I finally watched it. And I was like, oh, this is honestly much higher quality than I was anticipating when I saw it the first time. I saw it. Um, I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I definitely saw it on video, like right after it came out and it deeply unsettled me. I mean, that was a movie that I was like kind of afraid to revisit for a number of years afterward. So I, I know I've seen it in the interim between, you know, having to revisit it for this episode, but a lot of it still felt a little fresh to me. Um, I was aware of it. I remember it came out when I was in high school and it was just another one of those horror movies that comes along once in a while and is like a phenomenon um, Mm -hmm. among whatever age demographic I was in. Um, And I remember everyone was talking about the ring and how scary it was. And I remember the first time I watched it was like we had a like a lazy day at school, like before a holiday break or something. And one of my classmates like brought in the video, brought in the (laughs) DVD. I think they brought in that and, um, um, anger management with Adam Sandler and Jack Nicholson. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, we, so like I watched like the first, like half or less of the ring on like a TV in a classroom and I was like, this is actually really cool and scary. What the fuck? But then I never actually watched the full thing until, I don't know, relatively recently. I would say maybe 2012, 2014, something like that. And that was the first time I actually had watched it. But like I had, you know, kind of absorbed it through the culture in the meantime. So I kind of knew what to expect. But yeah, I thought it was interesting. And then this is my first time in years watching it actually from start to finish when you saw it in school was the tv on one of those big stands that only exist for high school classrooms no no it was actually on a permanent shelf but it was it was we (laughs) we had crt in school this was a crt tv Um, i think that's the way to see this honestly (laughs) i know every every time someone says outlaw crt in school i say how are we gonna watch movies (laughs) (laughs) i just thought to contextualize this for myself because I was pretty sure this came out the same year as another movie that I was bubble childed away from seeing. And it did in fact come out the same year as Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man movie, which I was not allowed to watch because it was too violent. Oh no, it is pretty violent though. Let's be honest. (laughs) I mean, it it does have a couple of rather gory moments. Yes. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty violent. So I I stand with your parents. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god no no you should have been allowed to see spider-man but did your parents watch did they like screen movies for you if they- oh yeah, yeah yeah okay yeah and specifically they like i remember them getting like the vhs of spider-man because i mean i was like when that movie came out that was i think kind of what got me into comic books and just and i and i mean again it's bizarre because i hadn't even seen the fucking movie but i was just fascinated by like I think just behind the scenes stuff. And then, mm. you know, I was just interested in reading about the making of the movie and stuff. And so of course I wanted to see the movie, but yeah, they screened the VHS. 
Um, I believe my mom talking about like scrubbing through parts of it to basically she was just like checking for the the nasty shit. And I remember her like describing the scene in which the the goblin gets like impaled by his own glider, which I mean, frankly, like describing it, it's kind of one of those things where like whatever violent imagery you come up with in your head is absolutely worse than what's actually in the movie, you know? It's, yeah. Know. You Fuck must censorship, have- man, whether it's parents or not. You must have been, maybe that's why the movie Censor resonated so strongly with you, or one of the reasons. Maybe. But, but it's so funny, because, like, you you would have been, we're the same age, so, like, you would have been, like, right on the cusp of 13 when that movie came out, yep. which would have made it appropriate for you to watch a PG-13 movie, one would think. Yeah. yeah. Oh. They were trying to shelter you from the from the kiss in the rain. Oh, <laughs> pretty steamy. Yeah, they didn't want to open that Pandora's box. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the ring, if you haven't, if you've been, you know, if I guess if you, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the listener who doesn't know what the ring is, but I think we take for granted, like, I think we take it for, I feel like there's probably a generational gap. I don't know if zoomers know the ring, like we know the ring. Um, so mm. it's, it's, it's possible. We got some people out there who don't know anything about the ring. Basically the story. <laughs> they know what the ring is. They've seen incantation. Is there a ring in incantation? No, but no, it's I was similar. Just, yeah, I was just kind of shocked remembering because I kind of forgot about some of the parallels. And yeah, especially like kind of the final twist is very incantation, except incantation oh. kind of rips it off and then also takes it to the next level in yeah, a certain yeah. way. But we'll get into that in the spoiler uh, room. Well, it's an American remake of a Japanese film that I mean, no one that wasn't that that was information that that came out after the ring was a huge hit i think people were like oh by the way all the hipsters in in high school were like it's actually a japanese film uh but that was me but i didn't see the <laughs> japanese film so i was yeah. just full of shit yeah but it's about a uh a woman played by naomi watts what's her name doesn't ja- matter all rachel her name naomi watts her name is naomi rachel i remembered that good white girl name her name, a, a very, a very big name. If if it's the year two thousand two, everyone's mm-hmm. no, everyone's named Rachel or wants to be named Rachel in two thousand two. Um, <laughs> wants to be named Rachel. Anyway, she is uh, a newspaper reporter by trade, which I thought was cute. It gives this whole thing a little bit of a all the president's yeah. men feel to see like the whole mm-hmm. newsroom and she's working the phone in it but i mean truly though i mean like how many i can't even really think of many other horror movies where there's a protagonist who's a journalist and is kind of conducting their investigation of the goings-on from a journalist perspective that's kind of cool mm-hmm. i mean i mean partly because i'm a fucking journalist mm-hmm. so it's just narcissism but also it's it there's some fun novelty factor to mm-hmm. that it's a little thin uh i th- like that's not really a big part of the movie um but she also has personal reasons for exploring this story later uh, basically, the the story is we we open with with two girls and one of them is relating an urban legend basically about the videotape that kills you. You die after you watch it. It's a mm-hmm. it's a creepy video. You watch it. You get a phone call that says you're gonna die in seven days, and seven days later you fucking die. Uh, it reads like Chris wrote it in Gchat. It sounds like something you would you would make up in Gchat. Well, I would make it up because I would be riffing on the ring. <laughs> <laughs> True, but also like this is your kind of thing, like two like high school girls talking about an urban legend, and then something actually awful happens to them. Yes, exactly. So the one girl's telling the story. The other girl is uh, 
uh, alarmed because she's like, actually, this is happening to me. And for reasons I don't understand, they kind of walk the line where we're not sure if this girl's fucking with the other girl right. or not. Like, she doesn't seem to be taking it all as seriously as she would if it were actually happening to her. Um, but well, yeah, she says she's joking, and then two minutes later, she says she's actually not. I don't know. It's, another two minutes after that, she's dead. It's silly, but um, she dies. Uh, she gets she gets killed. So uh, then we find out that that girl was actually that family, that girl and her mother. I don't think there's a blood relationship, or is there? To Naomi Watts, that girl. Oh, uh, yeah, it's her niece. Okay, is it? That's okay. what I thought. Yeah. All right, so it's yeah. Naomi Watts's sister is the mom of this dead girl. Not only that, but the dead girl was like. Number one babysitter, number one family friend, BFF forever to Naomi <laughs> Watts's little boy who's like eight or nine or something like that. I don't know how is he eight or nine or is he younger? Is he's probably like six, but six, he seven. but he acts like he's forty. So yeah. he, he acts like he's irrelevant. forty, but I <laughs> typical think, typical horror movie kid. I think he's six or seven. Wise beyond his years, though. Anyway, they were super close. So, so the little boy is super rattled. <laughs> He's already ready to take the bar. <laughs> <laughs> the the kid's super rattled by this by this death. Uh, Naomi Watts is rattled by this death. They go to the wake. You know, it's a disaster. And Naomi Watts's, uh, I guess, sister is like, you know. This doesn't make any sense to me. What the hell's going on? And so Naomi Watts is kind of like, well, look, I I know a thing or two about investigation. I'm gonna figure out what's going on begins to uncover a series of deaths. This dead girl turns out all her friends died too at the same time. Really a week after they went on a little camping debauchery trip in a cabin uh, out in the country. And Naomi Watts is going to figure out what the hell is going on. Uh, what the urban legend about this videotape is all about and what happened to her niece and all her dead friends. And that's sort of the, the setup. But yeah, spoiler alert, yeah. there is a videotape that kills you when you watch it seven days later. Yeah. And it's yeah. not a spoiler to tell you, Naomi Watts is going to watch that tape. Her ex-boyfriend is going to also watch the tape and her son is going to watch the tape. So we're really on a race against time to solve this mystery before that ghost mm-hmm. comes knocking. So to go back to the prologue, the prologue is such a compelling way to introduce this whole thing. I love the way it just throws you in immediately, explains the urban legend, does away with a character that you think might be significant, but it certainly is not. Also, <laughs> directly lifted from Ringu as Ringu starts the exact same way. So I was giving this movie some credit for that opening and it's, it doesn't deserve it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, true. Yeah. If you're remaking the shit, keep the stuff that works, which it, which it does, you know, most, most of the big moments in this are kind of lifted from Ringu, except for one that is one of the weirdest moments and most memorable moments actually is has nothing to do with Ringu at all but I like this opening regardless it works in both I want it because I know you're going to be comparing the two throughout which I'm really excited to hear what the differences are and the similarities but I always knew it as Ringu like when we found when we hipsters found out after this movie came out was a hit that it's based on a Japanese movie it was called Ringu but it's on Shudder as just Ring and I'm wondering what it's about 
uh, Ringu is just how you would actually like pronounce it in Japanese. Like if you read the characters, it's Ringu, um, and but the English translation would be Ring. Okay. Oh, that's what I thought. I just thought it was kind of odd that it's such a famous movie. Like, why would you translate it back to to just Ring? I don't know. Sales, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah. Tubi has it as Ring too, I think, which is where I watched it. And the 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 Ring, the titular Ring for those those who somehow don't know, is the uh, signature image that you see on this cursed videotape. Mm-hmm. There are many eerie images on the videotape, but the Ring is sort of the like, oh, now you're watching a cursed videotape. Uh, and it's the big signifier. kind of visual metaphor of the movie. It, that motif appears all throughout and is kind of meaningful to to the plot in yes in some ways yes kind of looks like an eclipse it's like a halo yeah. of light mm-hmm. emanating from around a, a dark object mm-hmm. should we talk about the tape should we talk about the tape these people are watching like it is now there's this trend of you know cursed images you know that are used typically manufactured by people online now mostly using ai i assume to just like create um images that are that are slightly off that have an uncanny quality to them and this videotape is just a series of those types of images all in black and white um it almost feels like a psychological test made to feel to make you feel as like unwell or uncomfortable as possible and it is it is quite striking while also a character even jokes about it i think it's the ex-boyfriend that has a very student film quality to it (laughs) um it's kind of it kind of rides that line but i found it to be still truly unsettling on this view oh yeah what how do you guys feel about the tape itself the the tape's my favorite thing about the movie <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of it's it's very creepy but what what i like about it is how mundane almost all of the images are in fact mm-hmm. the the only parts of the tape that i don't like are the ones where like you see like the throat with the rope coming out of it or the fingernail getting oh. pierced and like the things that are actually objectively uncomfortable unpleasant images because the rest of it is just like a tree a mirror, a, a ladder, ladder, a yeah. chair, mm-hmm. and it's like, but it all just feels very wrong, even though you're not seeing anything scary. And I think that's really fun. And uh, and then like, it sort of becomes a scavenger hunt in the movie because our hero keeps seeing these mundane objects as she goes throughout the investigation, mm-hmm. and it's they rhyme with what was on the tape, and it's unsettling. I really like it a lot. Yeah, I mean, it invites so many interesting questions as to how these things are connected, if at all, which I mean, eventually they all wind up being connected. But it's like, oh, here's a fucking CGI giant millipede. Here's a woman like looking at you out of a mirror. Here's bloody water. You know, how does this all connect? And it and it does come together in interesting ways. Kind of to my chagrin. I, I don't I thought they tied everything up to neat. Like, it makes sense for the plot mm. of the movie, but I like it being more sort of intangible than what it ends up being same here's the question for me is is it creepy because there's so much buildup about this cursed tape that we're you know i mean actually kind of like (laughs) the violence in spider-man are we already are our brains already working overtime anticipating something scary and so we make these things seem scarier in as we watch it or would this just be scary 
on its own in a vacuum. No, it's inherently scary. And the soundtrack, that like whining sort of thing, it's like... That is unsettling. It's all unsettling. If your TV, if you had never seen The Ring and your TV came on in the middle of the night and played this, you would burn your house oh, down. Oh, fuck no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't, you don't need down. someone to tell you, oh, you die in seven days after you watch this to be deeply unsettled by these images. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's inherently scary. And I think... You know, this is not an airtight theory, but I've been mulling over this movie today, and there were some shots that really stuck out to me when I revisited it last night, where I think the movie does have this meta quality to it as well, like, about the act of watching and about, like, the anticipation of something scary happening and, like, why we're drawn to that or why we want it, why we try and censor that to, to viewers, especially because, like, a kid features so largely in this movie too, right? And, like, the mom's trying to protect him from this tape. It's not unlike your parents, Patrick, protecting you from Spider-Man in a way. (laughs) I think the movie, I don't know that it has a whole lot to say about that, but I think there's some visuals in it. Like there's a scene where Naomi Watts is just like watching people, watching people watching TV in their apartments across the way from her Mm -hmm. as she's trying to get some respite from a stressful moment. And like, (laughs) I remember like there's a mom like smoking a cigarette, looking back at her and her daughter has her face like almost comically close to the screen watching this this cartoon on a giant CRT mm-hmm. that has all the, there's, there's something violent happening. I can't tell what it is. And uh, yeah, there's I also know. a very, very clear rear window homage in one of those windows. Oh yeah. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Yeah. Dude in a wheelchair with his legs in casts. Oh really? Yeah. I actually didn't. I didn't clock that. I just thought I saw the whole thing as a rear window homage. I didn't clock that detail. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, okay, if you didn't figure this out already, here's, yeah. here's your clue. Well, and this movie does, uh, that. that is maybe one of the biggest flaws of this movie for me this time around, is like, it does not trust the audience's intelligence. Yeah. Um, and like, there's so much exposition and repetition of of lines of dialogue or ideas throughout it, it, it got to be kind of distracting. Um, I didn't realize that was happening on a visual level, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't mind the repetition of dialogue, but I did hate how every time these images from the tape are repeated in life, they have to flash back to the video. Like, yeah. And that really just, that seemed like a studio note or something. Like, we, I was gonna we s- don't think the 13-year-olds are going to get the connection. You need to make it scarier. Because we see the tape so much that these images are all more or less burned into our heads, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, so when we see the ladder leaning against the alley, we don't need to a flashback to the tape that we watched five mm-hmm. minutes ago in the shot of the ladder. And they do that, like, almost every time they show something creepy from the tape in real life. And it just kind of, I don't know, you feel like you're getting hit over the head with it. And it kind of it kind of reduces the sort of intangible mystery of it all. See, I actually didn't mind that because there are so many like near subliminal images in the tape. Like you just mentioned the the pierced fingernail and the pulling the rope out of the throat. I don't remember those being in the tape at all. And I was like, my eyes were on the screen throughout the, that first um, viewing of the tape. And I, I'm pretty sure that when those two moments that you mentioned happen, like the pulling the rope out of the throat. I don't think it flashes back to the tape. And so that came a little more out of left field for me. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't mind that so much. Yeah, I didn't mind I the know. flashing back to the tape because I do think the rep, I, I thought the repetition repetition of images worked well for me. I thought it was, I thought this is a very well edited movie. Speaking of which, except for when it feels, and I had the same exact thought you did, Chris, though, about a couple of different scenes. Um, it felt like the studio, 
saw a cut of this movie and was like, nope, nobody's going to get it. The 13-year-olds are going to be watching this movie. you got to spell it all out. And there's lots of like, like dialogue flashbacks while there's action happening, especially toward the end of the movie. Even one to, I mean, we'll talk about it in the spoiler room, but there's one that like kind of spells out one of the big sort of themes or at least like motifs of the movie by calling back to a line of dialogue that like happened maybe 20 minutes beforehand. If you'd forgotten it by then, then I, I, I don't know what you're doing watching a, a, a sophisticated ish horror movie. Like this. Mm-hmm. it was all, it was, it was spelled out very clearly the first time. And I think that's a very short amount of time to forget something important like that. It's a pretty subtle movie until it's not, but the the subtlety is really kind of hurt by this stuff. And this stuff, it would work. It would still work. It would just work subconsciously. Even if you didn't notice it, your brain would notice it, and you'd be mm-hmm. spooked. We don't need to cut to the tape. Anyway, that's kind of a nitpick, because I, I agree that on the whole, it's a it's a very well-edited movie. It looks good. I was a little mad at the editor but uh, because of these these insert shots, but then I was like, these are pro- this is probably uh, tortious interference by people. And also then I watched on my Blu-ray cause I watched this on Blu-ray. There's a Good real, there's a reel of deleted scenes and all the, all the deleted content. I was like, I am so glad that got cut from the movie. It added nothing. Mm. The editor was on point. And it's funny because all right, obviously this movie involves a VHS tape. And so there's a lot of, what would be dating, I guess, of this movie. Like it's, it, it's not, it's clearly set in a time other than our own. We have constant <laughs> reminders, technological reminders of a uh, bygone era, but somehow it doesn't feel that egregious to me. When I watched the deleted scenes, there were two scenes that took place in a video store. Ooh. And it just was so outdated. One even has Naomi Watts checking out tapes and she's checking out Pokemon and the clerk is <laughs> making a ref- he's making jokes about the Pokemon movie and like just stuff that really would put it in not make it timeless. And I feel like this still feels like a timeless movie even though it has these, you know, sort of outdated technologies in it. And I would not feel that way. This would feel like as, as it would feel as stuck in the early two thousands as I don't know. I what's, what's a movie that's stuck in the early two thousands in horror. I, 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 but I hear you though. It does feel, it felt, I, I, I was worried about that kind of interference too taking me out of the experience. And I felt like it held up pretty well. I mean, there, there's a couple, there were a couple of things that were like, well, I mean, how could you avoid it? But it, 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 it stands out like a sore thumb, like, like, uh, the ex-boyfriend's like little mini eight, like mini HD camera that he uses to like take video of her to show her how her face looks up after she sees the tape. And it's like, well, that that's a thing that will ne- never exist again. It will never be cool to own a vintage one. <laughs> it's just so ugly, but it, but you know, that was the, the state of the art at the time. You can't mm-hmm. avoid it. But I thought for the most part, I mean, I know people who collect VHS tapes now, you know, it's like it's like for whatever reason it's coming back around. So it almost feels contemporary in a way. Looking back on it, mm-hmm. I was just thinking about. I mean, I really enjoyed the era that this was set in. It's crazy to think about this being twenty years old, twenty one years old at this point. And I don't know. You you like sort of couldn't make this movie now because there's that weird spooky mystique to 
VHS tapes and the weird fucking tracking shit that would happen and, and, you know, getting it on the whatever, uh, play VCR she gets it on so that she can see the whole frame of the VHS and find the lighthouse that ends up giving her a clue as mm-hmm. to where to go. Like you, I don't know. It just, I don't, I, I was thinking about how even the recent sequel or reboot or whatever they did, how it even works like rings. I, I don't know that this works as well. If it's about fucking YouTube and digital video and whatever, a lot of the mystique of this is the, uh, yeah, the VHS thing, or even going to the fucking library and looking through books, you know, that's just, it's fun. It's fun. I don't know. Again, I don't think you could make this movie today necessarily and still have it be as enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I did love. Oh my god! I like. I I almost wanted to like cheer when she brought out the book of you know America's lighthouses. I think it was yeah. called. I was like, <laughs> that's fucking rad. Like this this lady, she is a good reporter. She's doing her research and she's going for a trusted text. <laughs> and um, like the first book she opens has the lighthouse in question in it, yeah. of course. <laughs> <laughs> so lucky, lucky choice there. Well, we, we, I think people are trying to figure out how to make the internet scary, right? We've got, um, yeah. you know, we've got host, which I didn't care for, but people, people loved mm-hmm. it. Uh, even skin rink is like, I feel like trying to approach the, the, the sort of cursed image quality of at least the tape from the ring and, and try and at least explore how you can mess with these images dig- digitally in, in the way that you that you would have to physically, you know, with like a VHS tape back in the day of like the, you know, printing out. Uh, there's a lot of printing in this movie, too, which I enjoyed printing mm-hmm. out frames of it. But I don't think anybody's managed, at least in the films I've seen, I don't think anybody's managed to to do what the ring does in the time that we're living in right now. I don't think that the digital domain is as scary. And I mean, we'll talk about it in the spoiler room. I think there's some, some practical reasons why this has to be a tangible object um, that, mm-hmm. that worked for this movie. But yeah, um, I actually saw a tweet that talked about, it was some filmmaker of record talking about how like phones and the internet, it might've been Soderbergh. It sounds like a Soderbergh thing he would say anyway, but it was about, (laughs) it was about how like phones and the internet have really fucked up movie making. And that like when everyone has a phone and everyone can text and call whoever they want at any moment and get the answer to any question with a, a couple seconds on Google, it just really takes away a lot of dramatic possibilities. Then I saw someone responding to that tweet on Twitter, responding to that tweet with a list of filmmakers and how many years it's been since they made a movie that was set in present day. And the list is astonishing. Steven Spielberg hasn't made a movie set in the present day in 18 years. Tarantino, 16 years. Scorsese, 17 years. Paul Thomas Anderson, 20 years. Ridley Scott, 10 years. James Cameron, 29 years. They're taking some liberties with that because Avatar is futuristic. But, right. Um, <laughs> um, same with Ridley Scott. Yeah. The Coen brothers, 15 years. <laughs> like Tim Burton, 11 years. Like these people have no interest in making movies that's set in the real world amidst all this technology. So I, I disagree with this premise. I think the internet is plenty scary. I just think a lot of the problem is that people are still trying to make movies that are scary in the way movies about the VHS era or the pre-cell phone era used to be scary. Like, I think uh, there's a sort of a lack of invention because obviously we're still scared of shit 
there's still lots to be scared of. It's just, it's not necessarily being exploited. And so instead we're doing shit like, you know, how many fucking movies now have the digital video where, you know, the tech nerd who has the unique power of video enhancement shows up and you enhance the frame and all of a sudden you see, you know, Mr. Boogie or whatever it is in Sinister. <laughs> Although actually that's different in Sinister because I think that is still a, an eight millimeter tape or something like that. You know what I'm talking about though? That, that's such a trope, like enhancing the video and all of a sudden you see something scary. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just... I, I think, uh, yeah, there's a lack of, there's a just a refusal to kind of move into the, the, the current era and embrace what's scary about now. I think it's just because it's not interesting to watch. Like, th- there are some great movies about watching, about listening, like, you know, like even like The Conversation, you know, the Coppola movie, whatever. Like, there are always going to be films that are set in the present time that use like current technology to tell interesting stories. But like one, I think you need a really solid reason to do it. That's very compelling and timely and possibly even like political on some level from at least for me to get on board with it. But also it's really hard to make that interesting to look at on a screen because you're just you would just be looking at people looking at screens the whole time. And we've you know? well, so like, and well, I guess we... I'm not even I guess I'm not even necessarily talking about this idea of like looking at video necessarily so much as embracing other things that are scary, you know, I mean, cause Chris started by talking about like now that everybody has a cell phone, you know, cause that's such a common trope. Now we have to come up with a way for yeah. the protagonist of a horror movie to not have cell service, but it's like, you can still be in a scary situation with a cell phone and still be freaked the fuck out. You know, I think you just have to like work with the limitations more. And I rarely see people kind of have the, it doesn't even seem like creativity to me because I'm scared of shit all the time. And I have my cell phone by me. I have cell service, you know, it's like, well, you I, don't I have- just think it, I just think modern fears need to be exploited a little, little more. Uh, this is why I think like the cabin in the woods or the camping trip horror movie like should be having a resurgence right now. I mean, we just went camping a weekend ago. <laughs> we can't yeah. talk about what happened. They we can't talk me. about what happened, but what we can say is, if we needed to contact the authorities or text someone, we would have been fucked. we'd be fucked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we so, were only forty-five minutes away from home. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and look, we've seen movies on this show that lean wholeheartedly into that. You know, Cam is a good example. Mm. Uh, you know, Unfriended yeah. and stuff like that. There are a lot of movies that are about the horrors that come with the, this technology and how the internet sometimes the scariest place to be, etc. But those just aren't or Incantation. You know, Incantation's sure. another good one. But just they're not stories that everybody wants to tell and. You know, I, I I don't know, and and well, there's, yeah, there's I, never I, well, been, yeah, there's never been a series or a movie that has figured out how to do text messaging. Either. No, <laughs> like it never like, looks that that's natural. a huge thing. That's there's so much of the digital experience that just doesn't translate to cinema, even if it's still scary. Like just someone t- chatting with somebody or texting with somebody is so non compelling versus what you have in a movie like The Ring, where they actually have to call people and the phones ring and then they're like, "Pick up, goddammit. <laughs> well, and I think you you hit on it with like what you just said that they're not stories people want to tell, and I think you know that's as telling anything else that we have such a there's such a a fetishism of like 80s technology uh you know and again going back to skinema rink we have an entire movie that's designed to look like it was shot on old ass vhs and that's the whole point like that in and of itself is supposed to be scary and it is on very uh very occasional basis i think we all kind of agreed (laughs) on that 
Um, but there's just such an obsession with it. Just an obsession with the past. I don't know. I just want people to fucking live in the present. Uh, I'll get off my soapbox now. I yeah. think we can. I think it's natural to look to the past for inspiration and also to use the past as a reflection on what's happening now. But I agree with you. There is a lot of nostalgia porn out there that I'm just fucking tired of. Mm-hmm. Scammer and, and being uh, number one, probably on my list. <laughs> yeah, and there's some that, that's that's done well and that I enjoy. But overall, I just yeah, I, I guess I wish people would kind of lean a little more into the current moment with their storytelling. And and again, there's there's still plenty of shit that's scary. So tell the tell those stories, I guess. I do think it's cute though and cozy that the ring here, which I mean, it's not. I feel like it's one of the later horror movies in the pre-digital era, sort of. Like, you know, I would say mm-hmm. like 2007, 2008 is when we start getting when we start getting like digital cameras in everybody's hand. We start getting our paranormal activities and our wrecks and our found footage stuff. And then obviously the internet explodes a lot from 2002 to 2008. There's a lot yeah, of- the ring is kind of like the end of an era, like or the beginning of yeah. the end of an era. Yeah, I was thinking about that when she's like using a search engine, which we've seen a million times, and it's like one of the dullest things. We've talked about that before, like watching somebody type shit into Google, but. I feel like there was probably a certain mystique to that at this point in time. Yeah, and it actually makes for a halfway compelling scene because it's not just like, oh, here's the answer to the mystery. It's like, well, here's one historical society that uploaded some shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, But it's it's cool how this, and even the way we make movies, you know, 2002, I'll always remember is when Star Wars Episode Two came out, which was like, I remember it as being like, oh, there's digital mm-hmm. cinema now, and you should see this uh-huh. movie at a digitally projected screen because it's yep. better. It's better. Mm-hmm. It was shot digitally, so you have to see it in a digital theater, which looking back is absurd. But that was And it how- looks like ass no matter which way you see it. But- that, was how, that was how they marketed it. And it's like, okay, now we're going to be making movies digitally. And obviously, now we almost exclusively make movies digitally, but... So the ring kind of stands at that precipice. I mean, maybe if it were a couple years later, I could make this argument a little bit better. But I think it's cute how uh, such a major horror movie right at that precipice has such a commitment to showing people using legacy media and analog technologies, whether it's the videotape or her in the newspaper room, going through the books of, of newspaper copies, um, the answering machines, just all, all kinds of little stuff in this movie. It's, it's, it's a nice touch. It's a nice goodbye to an era. It's a turning point. Yeah. I mean, I, it was necessity a lot of the time. I mean, re- I remember <laughs> using microfiche at the library at that time. Chris, though, I feel like since you just mentioned Star Wars Episode Two, just for the fans' like enjoyment, I, I feel like you need to make your quick soapbox pitch of why Episode Two is not only the best film of the prequel trilogy, but the, a, a good film in general. A good film in general. I don't know if I can defend that, but it is by oh, far okay. it is by far the best of the prequel trilogy. In short, it's the only <laughs> the episode one and episode three tell you too much information. Uh, the mystique of Darth Vader is lost if you see episode three and see how it happened, or if you see episode one and you see him as the little moppet. The structure is good. It has a very it really b- expands the Star Wars universe by showing you like the street level civilian life of Coruscant. It adds the mystery element, which is very effective with Obi Wan going to Kamino, uh, and it's just a it's just a good adventure story. Uh, and not w- and if you divorce it from the other uh, prequels, it's it's the only one you need. 
I think I asked for that as much as anything so that when I make the social media posts, I can say, and we discuss, you know, I, I try and pick out like the three weirdest fucking things we discuss in the episode, just so I can throw Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Clones in there. That's good clickbait, yeah. And we talk yeah. about why Episode 2 is the best in the series, and we'll have yeah. 5,000 <laughs> neckbeards logging on to say, actually, Star Wars Rogue One... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, because here's the okay, thing. If you we- see if you see episode two without the others, it tells you everything you need to know. Episode one, and episode three are redundant. You see episode two, and you understand Anakin Skywalker, and you see how he became Darth Vader without actually seeing him going to lava and wear the suit. It's all you need. All right, so back to the ring. Thank you. Um- God bless you. <laughs> yeah, can we? Okay, so can we talk about humans for a minute? We've been talking about technology so much. I want to. I want to give Naomi Watts her flowers here because that's you know that's I, I think wanna give one her of flowers because the- she's the most beautiful woman in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, she's one of the most important reasons this movie works as well as it did. And I think it's a huge stroke of luck, frankly, that they wound up casting her for this. Because, I mean, at this point in time, I mean, you could just as easily have had fucking Sarah Michelle Geller, or whoever, which I mean, no disrespect necessarily to Sarah Michelle Geller, but she's not an actor on the on the level of Naomi Watts. And Naomi Watts comes across as like a serious character not just fucking, uh, I mean, she does wear underwear in one scene, but not just like eye candy for a fucking teen horror film. She seems like a serious person with a career and some genuine motivation and genuine interest in this. And also not necessarily a pleasant person. Like, I like that there's some shading to this character where it's like, she's kind of a bit of an asshole, you know? Yeah, and not a really good mother. <laughs> no. Not a great mother, no. Um, compelling, compelling, complicated character that's i mean uh, decently written in the script and, and well performed by naomi watts so i actually watched a little bit of a blu-ray featurette about that spoke to this and i i would say it's not luck um gore verbinski is just a, a visionary and he said you know what i think horror movies like this only work if you don't cast like the name actor you need someone that the audience can lose themselves to and not i agree okay that's sarah michelle geller um and so they were looking for someone who wasn't a household name who could still anchor the the you know more emotional bits of the movie. And damn, was she not a part? Was she not a household name at this time? She's no. still not. Is this like uh, really? I don't. What? Yeah, I would agree with Chris. So I was actually just revisiting huh. Roger Ebert's. I think of Naomi Watts as like a list almost. Oh no, please. She should be. But her first, her the movie she made before this was Mulholland Drive. Yes, um, my favorite horror film, in, 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 or at in, least in my top five. Look up Ebert's review because he really dunked on this movie and seemed perplexed by her casting and performance in this. But I thought she, you know, she she served the material well. I think there there were a couple of compelling moments, and yeah, I mean, a lot of it is down to the character. If I didn't appreciate her performance, this her character is kind of an asshole and uh, mm. kind of. Uh, well, she does make some kind of bizarre decisions later in the movie, too. But again, that's not the actress. That's the character and uh, and the writer. Yeah, I can't think you know, of anyone I'm I would... out. I can't think of anyone I would cast in this role who would do a better job of this movie. That's so interesting, like, retrospectively, that I think of that as, like, a casting coup for this movie. But, I, yeah, I guess... She probably was not a huge name and maybe it was even semi-cheap at the time. <laughs> yeah, this is how I learned who Naomi Watts was. And I kind of followed huh. her afterward because she, at the time, like, her, found her performance so compelling. Yeah. I wow. Of course, I hadn't seen Mulholland Drive. At the, that came years later for me. Um, 
I mean, this is well, still like is is this her biggest movie that she's been in? Probably. I mean, mm. like I said, like like household name. I she's still not a very big star. Um, I mean, she's she's known to us. She's known to us film people. But uh, yeah, like oh, King Kong. I guess King was maybe Kong. the biggest movie she was in. She's British. Yeah. What you didn't know that? No. Oh well. Huh. Interesting. Well, anyways, you referenced Chris uh, Gore Verbinski being a visionary, and I feel like we should definitely touch on him as well. Uh, what were what were everyone's thoughts on Gore Verbinski's direction and his his touch on this movie, or even just Gore Verbinski in general? Because I mean, what a fucking weird filmography like to go from this to pirates of the caribbean to uh, oscar rango. winner rango <laughs> and that's pretty much it he hasn't done a ton actually but just massive movies he actually did another horror movie fairly recently that i 2016 want to see now. yeah what, what was it called a cure for wellness yeah oh yeah, yeah. not particularly well reviewed but it has been recommended to me by a couple of people whose taste i trust so i'm real I've, curious to see that but i thought his direction of this movie was almost impeccable with mm-hmm. a big asterisk I, I i you know i i am not an anti-cgi person but most of my complaints with this movie involve cgi and it's kind of ironic because gore verbinski is someone that i've seen just acclaimed for how he approached cgi on the pirates of the caribbean movies i know that you know davy jones was like a, a big deal when he came out and he still holds up um, much like some other directors i could mention he just has a very good command over cgi tools and, and how to use them and so it, it it was kind of surprising to me to see kind of the cgi that didn't work in this movie but again i kind of felt the hand of the studio like when you're staring when you've just watched a scary ass video and you're staring at your own face in the dark tv in a dark room that's scary enough we don't need the little cgi blurry ghost to run through the background you know yeah (laughs) i thought i thought he um i mean the thing that struck me the most about this movie i've Basically, I'll just repeat what I said earlier. It felt, we didn't use this term back then, but it felt cursed to me. And that's all down to the direction, sound design. Hans Zimmer's score is amazing, too. But, like, this movie has a look, and I appreciate any horror film, especially a big-budget movie, that actually has a distinctive look and a tone that is not broken for the entire film. And he does that amazing. This movie looks cold and wet and just kind of, I don't know, and and just very tactile in a way that I don't often see in big budget horror movies anymore. It felt like there was intention behind every shot, every move of the camera. Really impressive stuff. Yeah, it feels very heavily color graded. And I might be like talking out of my ass here because I don't know technically too much what I'm talking about, but it has that like, Everything's very bluish gray, but also in a really striking way, in a way that feels unique and, and gives it a really unique kind of feel to it, as opposed to like the not just Zack Snyder, but the entire like school of Zack Snyder that's just like fucking invaded everything lately, where everything just has that gross like blue gray look to it. This this still feels colorful while feeling mm. drab and sad and rainy. Yeah. Um, which I appreciate a lot. Yeah, it's not um, it's not desaturated at all, like the Zack Snyder. Yes. Universe. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Um 
the, the kind of my complaint, and I said this to Stephen when we were texting last night, is it does feel music video-ish to me. And I'm not sure what I actually mean by that, other than just even even the tape, which I like a lot, like the cursed tape. I'm like, this looks like a series of weird scenes that you might see in like an REM music video or something. And like Verbinski did direct music videos before he got into yeah. movies. I, I haven't seen any of them. I'm kind of curious to track down a few later tonight. But um, yeah, it has it has that weird visual sense to it, and I I, I don't know. I guess this is a kind of a, a caveat because generally I, I like the look of this, and I appreciate what Verbinski did with it. But there is still something that feels music videoy to me. Like there should be a bunch of like kind of dark pop songs in this, which there's not. And is that a problem? Like, what's what's I, I guess no. what's what's wrong with that? Because a lot of the great, I it does bother me sometimes when I think of like a lot of the great directors of like the mid to late nineties, early two thousands. You know, like like David Fincher or yeah, um, a Spike Jones. You know, these are all people who came yeah. from music videos. But I think is like for all of them when they have a good story, a good script, and good actors. And I mean, I. I don't think the script for this was all that great, I have to say, but I still wasn't bothered by the direction. You know, it can, it can work and not be obnoxious. And I never found this to be obnoxious in the way that that you're suggesting it could be. No, I didn't find it obnoxious. It was just, um, I don't know, it's hard for me to even put my finger on what it was that, because I don't even want to say I disliked that about it. It was maybe a little distracting to me. Is all I can say. Mm. I'm not sure. It's 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 a little intangible for me. Hmm. Interesting. Should we review this movie, guys? I think Probably. so. I think it's time. I mean, I think we've we've given you the 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 premise. Our hero is on the trail of this video. She her research uh, leads her to a rural part of the state where those kids went and uh, stayed in the cabin a week or so ago. And what, and what is she going to find there? And what is, what's going on with this videotape? We will tell you, but first we're going to review it. Um, Steven, uh, you said you're the one who led us to this point in, in reviewing it. Uh, would you view it, cue it or screw it? I mean, I have a feeling if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen this movie, you know, you've probably seen it many more times than all three of us combined. Like it's, it's a huge deal. This movie It was a huge deal at the time. People still revisit, still talk about it. But if you haven't seen it, definitely see it. Like I have complaints about it. There are things I thought were absolutely absurd in this movie and ridiculous, mostly down to dialogue that I just like, it hit me differently when I was a kid. And, you know, I felt like I was entering the world of adults while I was watching this <laughs> R-rated movie. It is rated R, right? It's got to no, be. it's PG-13. It's PG-13. it's PG-13. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So all these people, and I see them online, who are like, oh, this horror movie's being, it's, it's, it's PG-13. I'm not watching. I hate Gr- that shit. Grow up. Oh, my God. Grow up. Yeah. Grow the fuck up. I mean, um, I don't, I don't want to see a Saw movie that's PG-13, but like, for most <laughs> horror movies, you can be scary as hell at PG-13 level. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, like my, minor quibbles. Well, I won't say minor. Some of them actually were like so distracting to me that I almost gave this a cue. Um, but yeah, definitely see it if you haven't. Um, what the fuck are you doing? It's The Ring. Like, you call yourself <laughs> a horror fan? 
Uh, it's got a great atmosphere. Um, <laughs> even, even when I was distracted by, the, by by some of the clunky dialogue and shit and the exposition, I was still felt like there was a sustained mood through this whole thing that even like weird attempts at humor couldn't break. Um, and that's impressive to me. That's very rare to see. The Ring. View it. Chris. I, I'm envisioning Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross going up to Ed Harris with a Ring t-shirt <laughs> on and saying... You call yourself a horror fan, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and know that I said that in jest. Um, <laughs> um, no, I'm going to give it a view. It. Um, it's not a perfect film by any means, uh, but I feel like I'm nitpicking to harp on what I don't like about it because it does so much that I do like. And I think it's really iconic. Like Patrick said, this is sort of the model of a little urban legend curse movie that I think about. And and really the model for a horror movie. Like if I were going to sit down and write a horror movie, it would probably be something really scary happening to somebody. And it would be somebody, uh, maybe a reporter who has to like solve the mystery of why it's happening before they get killed by the spooky thing. Um, I mm-hmm. think it's just a very good story. It's, it's surprisingly heartfelt uh, in a moment or two. And Naomi Watts is great. The direction, as Steven described, is great. And it's scary as hell. And even if you've seen it a few times, it's going to jump scare you. You're going to forget about something that <laughs> happened to me. So I would give it a view. It. Um, I own it, um, which I own. I do own some bad movies like the Vatican tapes, but <laughs> um, it's one that I'm proud to have in my collection. So. Patrick. Oh, I mean, it, it's also a view it for sure. Um, you know, I mean, I think there are plenty of casual fans who listen to the show, casual horror fans. And also, of course, even the the most diehard fan has some blind spots in their, uh, their viewing history. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, none of us have seen Ringu. I hadn't seen Ringu until today. So, you know, if you haven't seen it before, I think you, there may be plenty who are listening to the show. Give it a you know, check it out. And as Chris said, I think, and this kind of crystallizes something we've been saying, you know, it's, he was saying it's that like ideal kind of urban legend kind of movie, which you credited to me. I don't even remember saying that tonight, but I think it's, yeah, it's almost like the prototype that so many films have been trying to emulate. We talk about like people looking back towards a sort of bygone era of technology or, or history, social experience and, you know, I think this is maybe the prototype for, like, the digital age that everybody is still kind of trying to capture the magic of. Um, but, of course, you know, also remember a lot of it is deeply indebted to Ringu. So let's not give the ring and Gore Verbinski and, and the, the gang all the credit. But it's still a banger. Still, still rules. Watch the ring. And I hope that someone is listening who hasn't watched The Ring, and then they will. Yeah. And I can imagine even, yeah. I mean, obviously younger people who weren't maybe of movie viewing age when this was a big deal might have missed it. Or also I can imagine some people who are older and, you know, all the teenagers were screaming about The Ring and they dismissed it as just another 90s, 2000s teen spooky movie, you know? Like I kind of did. Yeah. 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 All right. So, um... So- Stick around and we will spoil everything about the ring. But first, let me remind you that if you want to keep up with us when we're not putting out new episodes in our little 
two-week span between episodes, you can find us online on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N cast. You can go to our cursed website, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com, <laughs> um, which I will renovate someday. And <laughs> some year you can see a list of some of the episodes that we did years ago and you can go to our <laughs> merchandise store and buy a t-shirt with some every horror movie on Netflix art on it. You can also most importantly, well, most importantly is go to your podcast provider of choice, rate us and review us. It helps other people find the show. But secondly, most importantly, uh, you can follow our community on discord. We have a great little discord uh, chat going on. You could, the link to that is in the show notes. And we like hearing from our fans about what they thought of the movies and what else they are consuming in the horror space. With that said, we're going to head on down to the spoiler room and tell you what our hero Rachel found on that tape and found out about the tape. We're also going to spoil everything about the ring in just a few seconds. So go watch the movie if you haven't or stick around. Welcome back. We're down here in the spoiler well, getting ready to spoil everything about the ring. So we first, haven't even talked about the well yet. First, the question: What's the part of the ring tape that scares you the most? Mm. I don't know why, but for me, the ladder just really freaks me out. Hmm. Mm. The ladder I thought was mid, but I, I respect your opinion. Hmm. I don't know. I I feel like my real answer is just the cumulative, the whole thing. Mm. But I mean, if I have to pick one bit, it's actually the weird bit with the the mirrors. I think mm. I'm creeped out by what looks like a portrait, but then it's moving. But then she kind of seems to be acknowledging whoever's filming, and then you see a little bit of Samara, and it's just very off putting. Especially since, for the most part, the woman in the mirror is just smiling and looking kind of normal. Yeah, mm-hmm. the mirror, the, the she's actually, that's my the scariest part for me. The woman brushing mm-hmm. her hair in the mirror, and then she looks yeah. at you. Yeah. Ah. All right. Mm, wait, so, I got a better answer. Sorry, I need to stop eating. Yeah, what the hell? Get it together. I'm so, I'm so hungry. Well, it's unusual, it's unusual to see a figure in a mirror from that distance at a camera, but you can't actually see the literal figure you know what i'm saying you can only see her face in the mirror you can't see her from the back which is i feel kind of unusual in a film a a shot that's from that distance Mm -hmm. i the scariest thing to me is the looping high-pitched sound effect that plays throughout the video and i don't know if that's like meant to be on the soundtrack or if it's like diegetic to the video but that that really gets under my skin and it plays many times throughout the film Mm mm-hmm so this is a big mystery. This is a the big mystery. Let me try to just summarize it as succinctly as possible because we don't have all the time in the world here. So the first step of the investigation is our hero, Rachel Naomi Watts, goes to the cabin where all these kids were staying. In short order, she finds the cursed videotape and watches it, thus marking herself for death in seven days. She's able to dissect the video using equipment at the newspaper where she works with the help of her ex-boyfriend and i think he's her colleague at the newspaper correct like he's a photographer who works for the paper yeah i think so anyway which 
And, and very brief side note, but weird difference between this and Ringu. In Ringu, that character is not like, doesn't have like, uh, he's not an AV nerd. He's a psychic. Whoa. Oh, that's so much cooler. Yeah. That's so yeah. much cooler. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so by analyzing the video, she's able to discover that it has something to do with this, you know, woman and her horse farm on this island. We go up to rural Washington. It's an island community, a very small island community. We take Bodega Bay. We it's basically Bodega <laughs> Bay, but an island. We uh, take the ferry to get there. On the ferry, Naomi Watts spooks a horse. There's a ridiculous action sequence. The horse mm-hmm. jumps overboard, drowns itself. The horse's owner is a young woman who says, that's my horse, but then doesn't seem to care that much that the horse just dies a horrible death, which is very unlike any horse owners I've ever known. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone I know would have jumped in after their horse. (laughs) She's just kind of looking at it. Anyway... Um, but the horse is on the tape. That's what. That's why I mentioned that. And the, and the bloody water is on the tape. Uh, she takes the ferry to this island, and finds out that the woman, you know, the woman's dead. There was a epic loss of horse life on the island that shocked the community. The woman's husband is still alive. And she finds out that they had a daughter, but there's really not a lot of documentation of her. She finds out from the community that this couple, uh, the woman and the, the her husband, who's played by Brian Cox in this film. Drop succession theme. Yep. They wanted a daughter. They tried to conceive for quite a long time. They weren't able to do it. And then they left and went abroad and came back with a beautiful baby girl named Samara. The origin of this girl is never explained, and it, that's kind of interesting to me. Um, I, I guess we're meant we're meant to believe that it's just from some place you don't want to go. A little bit of a little bit of xenophobia, though. It sort of has hostile vibes to me. Like it's fr- like well, no, there's a big reveal that it actually is their biological child. So those words are actually said. Like Naomi Watts is like Samara actually was their biological child. Oh, is that true? Yeah, yeah, because they make her they make her look. Like she could be Japanese because she has like the long, like very straight, like black hair that covers her face or could be Asian, I guess, generally, which is, I mean, a direct visual homage to Ringu. Um, And even the name, I guess, sounds, I mean, certainly not like something that somebody in rural Washington would name their kid. The, The girl in Ringu is Sadako, but not Samara. Then uh, why but did then everybody... it turns out to just be a little white girl who is actually uh, Brian Cox and the, the woman's actual child. Oh, she does find the birth certificate. Yeah. But I thought certificate I, ass- of I assume birth. that that was like a fake birth certificate because the, the neighbors and the community, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of secrets on this community seem to think that they just like went away and came back with a girl. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. It's all like, I will say it's all like unnecessarily sort of like obscure. Yeah. And, and like, I could see that, Actually, I could totally see me being off and maybe the like it being their biological child also being a red herring. But my takeaway was it was their actual like blood child. Hmm. I don't it all feels very irrelevant to me other than to create like kind of an elaborate reason why it looks exactly like the little Japanese girl from Ringu uh, or much- but is actually a white girl. All right. Does does Ringu explain like where she comes from or her conception? at all or, or why she's, she's why she's weird she's just a 
child who has powers, I think, in okay. Ringu. I will say I was kind of tuned out when I watched Ringu because as I started to realize how close, how similar the stories were, until actually this section when they're when they go to like find out the origin of things, it I, I kind of checked out because I was like, I literally just saw this movie. Okay. Well, then, so then I guess much like Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, there's an implication that there's something about the way they conceived after so much failure that might have opened the door. Maybe she was conceived by a witch or something. Who knows? Maybe. Um because basically when Samara is born, things start to go wrong. This girl has powers. The the fish crop dies up, dies up. The horses die, etc. Long story short, these parents are abusive to Samara. They blame her for everything that's going wrong on this island. They keep her locked in a loft over the barn on their property with no freedom. Uh, and I don't know if that's before or after they commit her to an institution where she lives out much of her young life. We have mm-hmm. videotapes and documents from the institution where she seems to display the ability to project images onto film, which is a phenomenon that has uh, been reported usually by fraudsters in real life, the thought psychic photography sort of thing. Um, But this is basically where these images on the tape are coming from. We're led to believe. Samara eventually is just so evil that in a pretty upsetting scene, her mother decides to suffocate her and throw her body into a well on the Island. And yes, tries to suffocate her for like literally two seconds, yeah. and then everyone is stunned that she did not, in fact, die yeah. when when she got to the bottom of the well. She did not die in the bottom of the well. She stayed alive for seven days, suffering, dying a slow death, and the ceiling, the 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 wooden or stone thing they put over the well to seal it, let her see the little halo ring of light at the top of the well, and that's what the ring is. And that's why that's burned into her brain and burned into this videotape. Years Which, later, did you guys notice the couple of like subliminal rings in this? There's yes. it flashes super briefly yeah. at least a couple times. Yes, yeah. but I thought it was just a, a side effect of LASIK. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so years later, like they end up building this cabin where these kids hung out on top of the well, which. I, I noticed I, when they went to the cabin, I was like, that cabin has an odd sort of basement for this sort of cabin. Um, <laughs> I think we're led to believe that like it was just a normal cabin that had videotapes on it. And then Samara's ghost was able to affect the content of the tape and curse it while it sat in the cabin. Yeah. Maybe it's kind of ambiguous. Doesn't really matter either. But Ringu also makes that much more explicit. Like they talk about how she psychically projected onto the tape. And mm. oddly, the American remake is a little, little more ambiguous about how that happened, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I kind of like it ambiguous, but Naomi Watts, Rachel and uh, the photographer male lead end up opening the well. Naomi Watts falls in. She finds Samara's skeletal remains and they're able to put her to rest. And they're like, this is so sad what happened to this girl. And it is sad. She goes home. She's like, all right, I think the curse has been lifted from me and from the boy and from the other boy. And she's talking to her son who has been in psychic dialogue with Samara for days now after having watched the tape. 
And the boy in a little creepy kid moment, which chilled my blood, gave me the goosebumps, is like, wait, you set her spirit free? Why would you do that? She's evil. <laughs> You're not supposed to help her, right? Is what he said. Right. Which is kind of funny because we spent all this time building sympathy for Samara. And yeah. she's like, we don't have to worry about him and her anymore, sweetie. We set her free. And he's like, she should stay in the fucking well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I didn't which, need any this- of this shit. I didn't need this last 15 to 20 minutes at all. Oh, that's interesting. I was actually huh. just about to say this is the kind of like false ending that I do like because, you know, I bitch on I, at least every three episodes about the Freddy Krueger Nightmare on Elm Street number one ending where it's like, oh, we gotcha. But this actually is like it's normally you would almost like cut like you'd end on the kid being like, you set her free. And then it's like sequel set up. But no, it's kind of escalating into final action, which mostly kind of rules, actually. I mean, you get. Of course, the fucking iconic scene of her crawling out of the TV after this. It could be the effect of having seen this already, where I was like, wait a second, wait a second. This movie, I wasn't looking at the runtime, and I'm like, this should be over by now. And I'm over it. Like, I feel satisfied. <laughs> but I haven't seen the most iconic shot of the whole movie yet. Yeah. Did I miss yeah. it? Like, like I, I felt like I was going insane. And I do like the fake out, like the scene with the boy is great. But there are so many things in this movie that even though like it looks great, there's a lot of like kind of tedium to it. And that sort of comes with the sort of procedural kind of story that this is. Right. And but I could handle most of it when it got to that point. I was like, I don't. I like that you went there movie, but I don't need the final confrontation and I definitely don't need the sequel setup at the very end, which is what that all leads to. What? I don't think it's a sequel setup. Well, they yeah, made a sequel either. with I, the I, same I, cast. Yeah. To me, that's just, I don't know. That's, that's the, oh, that's like the most satisfying way this could have ended. You can't like vanquish Samara. And I, I, I guess I could have been okay with just it ending with like her, you know, helping Samara find peace and Samara moves on. But I love the ending. It's just this, it's, it's sick. It fits with the, somewhat selfish asshole type of character that we've learned Naomi Watts is and also invites the question, what the hell else would you do? You know, I mean, yeah. I guess I, I kind of like that, but it's just sort of like at, at this point, the movie's almost two hours and it felt like, I don't know, it felt a little unearned to me. I'm curious, how does Ringu end? The same shit, except actually worse. So we, ha- we, we haven't explained this yet, but I mean, so I'll, I'll kind of finish Chris's summary. Samara comes out of the TV. We learn that Samara is still uh, <laughs> alive or undead, I guess, and, and well by the fact that she comes after Naomi Watts' boyfriend and kills him, inviting Naomi Watts' question, why the hell didn't she come after me? He was a day ahead of me or behind me like Naomi Watts should have already died at this point basically and she realizes that the reason Samara let her go is because Naomi Watts actually made a copy of the ring tape which is good for Samara because it continues to like kind of perpetuate her Mm -hmm. existence and there's more avenues for her to infect people Samara's an artist that's the main thing 
Samara is an artist and she wants to be heard. She wants her voice to be taken seriously. She wants to speak about all these things that happened to her. And uh, that's foreshadowed early on because the little boy has been drawing all these fucked up drawings of his dead cousin. And the teacher's like, what's going on with this? And and Naomi Watts is like, this is how kids express themselves by drawing fucked up images <laughs> mm, and so yeah. samara wants to basically just like communicate she wants she wants the mic and um by giving her an outlet that's how naomi watts figures that she was spared mm-hmm. yeah so she like has her son who has seen the tape make a copy of the tape with her like basically guiding him to do it so that he is also spared and you know the movie ends the the ring the american version ends with him asking what happens to the people who watch it. And it's almost like Naomi Watts may as well, like look at the camera and kind of like smirk. And then it cuts to static implying that like, we are the people who watch it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is fine. And Ringu actually ends. It's more fucked up. They do the same shit. They make the tape, but then she's driving and she like calls her dad. She's like going to give the tape to her dad. Whoa. Okay, yeah. I like that. Damn, I guess if he doesn't yeah. have much time left. Anyway. Yeah. Is he established yeah. as like an old older guy or a sick guy or a guy who's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm just surviving. I'm not living. That kind of guy. I want to say he's not. But again, I was like mm. super half watching Ringu because I, I was like, I just saw this movie. <laughs> There's a deleted scene again because they established the video store that shows that she takes it and drops it off at a video store. Oh, hmm. are you kidding me? No, I I don't hate wow. that, but I like I like the ending that they went with better yeah, for me sure. Too. Me too. Well, that ending would stuff was bad. That ending would tie in with my theory that this is like partially about like censorship and and like how we kind of build up these myths around horror movies or something. But so I would hate it something. if it ended that way. I would hate it. <laughs> it's it's about something. That's I couldn't really put my finger on it, but that's definitely a theme, right? Like you see all this stuff about people watching TV and screen time, and I think I don't know how it's articulated, but the message I received was like that the movies has something to say about like what are the ramifications of all the TV you're putting into your brain, you know? Well, yeah, I mean the girls discuss that in the very first scene. I don't. I don't. I think it's a movie that really wants to think it's saying something about that, but kind of makes like vague gestures in that direction, as opposed to like actually having something to say. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't commit to a a statement. Definitely. I'd be curious to see if I'm sure there's a billion think pieces about this online saying it's about any number of things, but it definitely seems to be leaning in that direction. Well, all right. You guys are going to think I'm fucking with you, but I found a comment on Reddit from Gore Verbinski doing an AMA on Reddit. And one of the themes in this movie, you know what it is? Capitalism? No. (laughs) I'm just trolling. What? 9-11. What? (laughs) Fuck me. How is this about It came out in 2002. Fresh wound. yeah, Yeah, he said that... um. Someone asked him, what do you believe is the key to making a story that is truly frightening for the viewer? And he says, well, I think it's really now it's it's like I think this might have been like speech to text. It's not completely it's a little hard to read. But I think what he's saying is, I think it's really important when the curtain closes, you've tapped into some contemporary fear. I think if we can tap into some sort of contemporary issue, the film tends to linger or stay with you with a film like The Ring. 
the the film came out after 9-11 and was very much about the sort of transferable nature of hatred. And in order to save yourself, you're making a copy of this videotape and making sure somebody else watches it. And it's a real palpable sense of what did I do to deserve this? Why me? And that sort of horror of terrorism doesn't really go after the culprit. It goes after a, uh, it's seemingly random in its approach. So... Hmm. I guess he's he's talking about, you know, the, the abuse that Samara endures and how somebody has to pay for it and who pays for it isn't really the mother, isn't really the father. It's just whoever. Somebody's got to pay for it. Hmm. She's a terrorist. <laughs> we must stop these terrorist killers. I mean, it was... Now watch okay, this VHS I, tape. <laughs> it, was, it was filmed in 2001. And I don't believe it was all filmed all right. after September 11th, let alone written before September 11th. Well, then this 11th. man's foolish. I believe that. <laughs> oh, I, I I could see him saying that in the context of that's why it connected with people mm. so well. Mm. But as far as that being intention behind the film, I think that's bullshit. That's, that's what, what I'm I'm hearing too. It sounded like it was phrased as like why people re- why it resonates so strongly, yeah. not what he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Chris Cooper played a murderer in two scenes meant to book in the film, but was ultimately cut. That's a murderer? Fun fact. How yeah. would a murderer fit into this movie? I don't know. Put man. Chris Cooper in anything. Why would you? Oh, yes. Why would you take him out of something? That's crazy. Put Chris Cooper in everything. Yeah. Well, I really want to see The Ring too. I never have, and you know. I believe I, it's rocking a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, is it? Yeah. is it really? That's a disapp- That's sad. <laughs> so it's just it is hard now. for me. It is hard for me to imagine where you go with this. Here's what's crazy, here. though. I forgot there was a Ring Two, which is insane because like the Ring is so big. I feel like I would have seen the Ring Two. Oh, I'm sorry. It has a twenty percent. But let me let me make sure I'm correct about this. So Naomi Watts and David Dorfman reprise their roles. It looks so like does it was di- Samara. It looks like it was directed by the creator mm-hmm. of the original ring. Director of the original, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he said if you're going to fucking he said if you're going to fucking make fucking Hold on. <laughs> well, the original is also based on a novel, which I, now I'm curious to read the novel oh. as well. I feel deeply invested in this this property. He said, if you're going to fucking make $250 million off of my movie, you're going to let me make the next one and give me that Hollywood money to do it. Apparently, hey, Chris, guess who's in Rings, the 2017? I guess this is still, yeah, it's still a sequel. It's a it's the third installment in the Ring series, but guess who's in it? If it's if it's about rings, it's gotta be about LeBron. It's gotta have LeBron in it. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, no, Johnny Galecki. Whoa! Why did you just address that to Chris? Wow. Yeah, Suicide King. Stephen likes him more than me. But I yeah, like him even more. Oh. Dude, I want a, a whole ass Suicide Kings ring sequel where it's all the, the <laughs> Suicide Rings. Back. Suicide <laughs> Rings. <laughs> I gotta call a producer. <laughs> this is gonna be fire. <laughs> Wow. Okay, we we might have to just end the podcast yeah. after this. I <laughs> don't think it, it gets any any deeper, more up our own asses than Suicide Rings. <laughs> Suicide Rings. <laughs> Fans, if you're into graphic design, graphic art, please make that poster for us and drop it on the Discord. <laughs> I think the podcast has to end, if only so that we can devote our like time, life, and energy into recruiting the entire cast of Suicide Kings to be in our 
movie Suicide Rings written and directed by us. Let's be real. It's hard enough to recruit each other to record this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I don't think that's going to turn out. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm pretty sure Henry Thomas is less busy than us, so we can do this. <laughs> we're going to pitch. We're going to go to Morrissey Nightmares and pitch this to him. And he's going to help. Yes. Me. He's going to say, all right, you know who's a big fan of the ring and of Suicide Kings? Mike Flanagan. We're going to get him on the phone. <laughs> Dude, I would pay. How much do you think it costs to get like uh, you know your minute or two with bucks. Henry Thomas, I would pay eighty bucks for you and me, and an, another forty if Stephen wants to come along for this too. For you to go up to him and pitch Suicide Rings to him while I film, just just to have the the memory. It could happen. We'll see how many labats I have. Just for him to go, okay, and like wait for his assistant to shuffle us well, away. Well, he has to have seen The Ring. You think he, Henry Thomas has seen The Ring? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, of course. All right, so, hey, if you've seen The Ring and he says no, then that's the end of the bit. <laughs> <laughs> Ask him if he's seen Suicide Kings. That's the that's the better question. <laughs> true, true. All right, well, what the hell are we watching next week? Who's choosing? Uh, Next oh, week. Chris is, oh, Chris is choosing. Oh, look at that. It's my turn to choose. Okay. Well, we're actually going to take, we're going to go back to our roots. We are going to go back to our oh. roots. You don't. What does that guys, even mean at this point? You guys might Spawn? not even know. You guys might not even know this, but there is a movie title I saw on Netflix. There were two, but, but one of these. I'm are, scared. This preamble is scaring me. These are, there were two movies that I saw on Netflix that gave me the idea to do this podcast. Zombies. Oh. And one of them turned out not to be classified under horror. So we've never done it to this point, but mm. I just checked the horror movie registry and it's on there now. So they oh changed the genre. They added a genre. And so this is literally a movie I've been wanting to watch and review and discuss since before we started this show it's circle circle not the circle no just circle Uh it's about a group of strangers seized and awaiting execution on a circle they're all standing on circles they're they're in a they're standing in a circle and each of them is on their own circle and they have to face the impossible task of choosing the one person among them worthy of being spared. No. Oh. oh, wow. Okay. Why did this, what about this made you want to watch, review, and discuss every horror movie on Netflix with your friends because on a it was it was just like a vaguely interesting concept I was, and like just a low budget weird horror movie on like, what? Who would watch this movie? Who would ma- what is this movie? Oh my god, I I'm looking like... at the cast on IMDb and we have characters named Wife, the Lesbian, the College Guy, <laughs> Pretty Girl, the Cancer Survivor, <laughs> and the Asian Kid. So Oh my ooh, god. This is gonna be interesting. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I said that we I need a reason to watch movies like Circle and all these other little weird <laughs> movies that are on there. That actually sounds not dissimilar from the labels that we give people on this podcast when we don't remember their character name. <laughs> yes. well, we usually just call them by the actor's name. It, well, I guess if we know the actor, often we do. It, yeah, when we don't know the actor's name, we're just like, so the college kid. <laughs> well, it'll be easy to discuss this one. Yeah. yeah. So the wife and the college kid. Are... <laughs> oh, oh my. wow. Right. How interesting. What a great premise for the next episode, Chris. It's uh, like we're coming I'm full excited. circle. 
Oh, wow. All right. Well, that'll be in two weeks. We'll be discussing Circle. Until then, like I said, find us on social media at Amoncast and join the conversation in our Discord. The link again is in the show notes. Until then, for every horror movie on Netflix, I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. I'm Steven. See you next time. 